0: You're listening to Talk Daredevil, the official podcast of the Save Daredevil campaign.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Talk Daredevil, the Save Daredevil podcast. This is episode 16. And today, our topic is Daredevil season one. I'm Aisha. Today I'm joined by Christina. Hi, everybody. And Casey. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. So let's get into it. Yes. So we all decided that we're going to pick our three top moments from the season. And then, you know, we can all talk about the season in general. So I'm going to start with my first uh, favorite moment, which is actually from episode one, Into the Ring. The first scene of the first episode, Matt Murdock is sitting in a confessional with his priest. And this is the scene that sets the tone for the entire series. It takes its time with the lead character. And I counted. It. It's, um, over three minutes long, but they don't rush it. And as you listen to the dialogue, you realize what kind of a man Matt Murdock is. I, I remember this interview with John Bernthal during the season two press. Uh, he was talking to A.V. Club and in this article he says, um, I saw what Charlie Cox did with Daredevil Season 1 and I saw his opening monologue and the elegance in which that was shot and the patience, the time they allowed that scene to develop and the honesty in which he played and it wasn't hurried. You really got to live and breathe in it. And it's true. I always tell people when I'm asking them to give Daredevil a try. I always ask them to listen to the dialogue, to soak it in. Because right off the bat, you're getting to know this guy, what he stands for. And when they do, it works. They're hooked from the beginning, as was the case with me. And I wasn't even a comic book fan or knew anything about Daredevil, but I knew he was different right from the scene in the confessional. And I knew Daredevil was going to be a different kind of show. That he is absolutely so right. true.
0: Yeah. Something that really, uh, it's important to remember that this is only the second scene in the show, and it's the first one that's being shown through Matt's eyes. Uh, talk about Brave. The very first shot of the show is the accident that blinds Matt, and they didn't show it through Matt. They show it from the standpoint of Matt's father coming upon the accident scene. So this moment, the confessional, is the first time we sit with Matt and he's telling his story. And exposition is hard. You know, getting information out without saying once upon a time, without it being blatant, without it sounding like people are reading from a script is really difficult. And in the confessional scene, we find out who Matt is who his father was, that he's deeply connected to his faith, and Mm -hmm. that he is still very emotionally not over-losing his father. And these things are so important. And they managed to get that in in three minutes. And like you said, it doesn't feel rushed at all.
2: It was such a beautiful scene. And then the moment when he is speaking about his father and the tear is running down his cheek, but he doesn't break at all. And I mean, just listening to him speak, it was captivating. Yep. And I just remember sitting like up in my seat. I I had no idea who Daredevil was watching the mm-hmm. show. I just liked watching the MCU stuff. I just thought it was entertaining, but this was the first time. And in this moment was the first moment that I was like, wow, this guy seems interesting. Let's keep going.
1: Yeah. I was engrossed, right, from that first moment. Like you mentioned, the tear sliding down his cheek. And it was very brave of the writers to, um, you know, show that for their lead character, the hero of the show in the, you know, first talking scene. And we see that. I I thought that was amazing.
0: Uh, One of my favorite moments, one of my top three in this show, has got to be in Season 1, Episode 2, Cut Man. And of course, I think a lot of people's favorite moments come from that incredible one-shot hallway fight. Uh, But people are often surprised when I tell them what my favorite part of that hallway fight is because it's epic. It's amazing. It's stunning. I remember watching it and saying, wait, have they not cut yet? Uh, it, It blew me away. But for me, the moment that hit me was right before Matt opens the door to rescue the boy, he lifts up his mask. And the fact that he's just been through this brutal fight, he was already wounded to start with, so he was not okay going in. He's definitely not okay now. He's exhausted, but he is the kind of man who through that all says, I do not want to scare this child. I want this child to feel safe. That is amazing to me. And then, of course, when he comes out with the boy, his mask is back down. So clearly lifting the mask was only for the boy's benefit. And I think that speaks so much to who Matt is as a person.
2: I think Cut Man is one of our, the three of ours favorite episodes. Um, as I'm looking at the notes, um, my favorite, my first favorite moment from the show was uh hallway scene as well but i loved as silly as it is and it's only one second the microwave (laughs) toss. there was something about seeing that microwave fly through the air and hit the bad guy in the face that i instantly was like this guy is my superhero i need to read everything daredevil i'm done he's you know he won let's let's learn more and i really it just That moment just hit me in a way, I I don't know why, but it definitely did. And I just, I needed to become a Daredevil fan. And I actually almost bid on that microwave uh, during the prop auction, but I realized if I had bought a $500 prop microwave, I'd be on the couch for several months and my husband would be very upset with me. So um, I don't know who won it, but I hope it has a good home with you and you treat it well. (laughs)
0: Did it go for $500?
2: Yeah, I think it went for like 500 wow. Yeah, I would have been on the couch for several months. <laughs> but that scene just instantly made me just love the character. And But I, I really loved in that episode, there was almost this parallel. Mm-hmm. You saw Matt as a young boy with Jack. Yeah. And then you saw the, the young boy with his father that one was kidnapped and how he was scared and crying. And it was it really seemed like this parallel of Matt being terrified that he you know lost his father, the only family in his life. And that little boy only wants his dad, but Matt is reuniting them, something mm-hmm. that he couldn't do with his own family. And now he was. And that was such it, it's a lovely moment. And like you said, Christina, just lifting his mask so the little boy wasn't scared was just this beautiful moment.
1: I agree about that parallel. Like, by rescuing the boy, it's almost like Matt was saving himself. And, you know, you can hear him talk to the boy to calm him down. He says, we don't have to be scared anymore. Because, I've, I've, you know, a lot of people think it. he says, you don't have to be. But I think he says, we don't have to be scared anymore because he's almost in that little child's place. And so I, I just... Love that connection. Cut Man is a, is a favorite of many of the team.
0: <laughs> Definitely.
1: These first two episodes, you know, when uh, I'm getting, trying to get someone new into Daredevil, and they're not into comic books, and they're not into, you know, superheroes, and I said, hey, just watch the first two episodes. I know that after the first two episodes, there's no way, like, there's not a single person I know who has watched the first two episodes, one after the other, and they've not been hooked. I mean, it took me two years for my eldest brother to get him to watch it. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll watch it. Whatever. And then I was visiting him. And on the night, the next day, I was my flight was coming back. And I said, you know what? Just give me two hours. Just sit with me and watch these two episodes. And he did. And he was hooked like anyone else. Well, moving
2: down our list of top favorites is my next pick. Which is from episode five, "World on Fire." Oh yeah, we have Foggy. Foggy is uh, and Karen are both at the Layman and Zach lobby, and they're talking with Marcy about the Mrs. Cardenas case, the tenement case. And I just love the fact that Foggy stands up to Marcy. You know, there was a the joke ahead of time about the sharks, and I I, I love that line. Look at me, I'm delicious. <laughs> I love foggy so much he's the best you know in the comics and even on the show he is he's just one of my favorites and i do love the fact that you can just see even in the posturing eldon does this amazing job of just like transforming into like i'm strong foggy and he's you know he actually gets up a little bit taller and he looks at marcy and you can tell he's like planted his feet and he starts standing up to marcy and telling her that it's her job to convince his client. To take the buyout, not him. And I just thought that last line about um, Marcy not having a soul. Oh, that was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> and then as he, you know, turns around and Karen wants to talk about, it, and he's like, "Walk faster, walk faster." <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite things about that scene, and you see it also in season two. Watch Karen. Watch Deborah Ann Wall react to what Foggy is doing, because you can see her getting impressed. You can see mm-hmm. her, you know, her, she's smiling. She's kind of almost covering her mouth a little bit at one point, like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe he's doing this. That really is fun, too, watching her reaction to him really standing up. And I think in the beginning, she's pretty surprised as well.
1: And like this scene, the first time you see, you realize what a good lawyer Foggy is. You know, he knows his stuff. And he knows the law and he's really good at it. So that is impressive to watch. Alright, so my next favorite moment is from episode 9, Speak of the Devil. It contains that ninja fight with Nobu, which is awesome and has um, a lot of different conversations with different characters. But my favorite moments are the conversations that Matt has with Father Lantern. Especially the, do you believe in the devil? father, that conversation. These two scenes between Matt and Father Lantham are so well written, so well directed and acted. It's just amazing. Every time I see Matt interact with Father Lantham is a treat for me. You know, you have already kind of noticed that from the the last fave moment I mentioned, which was the confessional, but he's such a great character, you know, he's a great advocate for Matt. The one person in Matt's life who was always there to listen to him, to guide him, to encourage him to make the right choice. And he never judged Matt. That's what I love. And I have to say this, as someone who's watched a lot of television, TV writing usually is not very good at tackling religious commentary, and at least in my experience. Uh, but the writers on this show handle it Without making it preachy or judgmental, you know whether you're a Catholic or not, whether you have you you know follow any religion or don't, you can still relate to the discussion happening in this show because it's about concepts everyone can agree with, like you know right versus wrong and good versus evil. So as someone who's not a Catholic, I really appreciated the portrayal of uh, of someone who is a man of faith like Matt is. You know, someone who's spiritual, who believes in consequences for his actions, which is very true for Matt Murdock. I really appreciate the care and time the writing and the direction took in these scenes. The dialogue is um, so character-driven. I just really enjoy it a lot.
0: You know, if you watch our uh, videos from Save Daredevil Con, the conversation between Stephen Denight, who's the showrunner of season one, and Eric Olson, who's the showrunner of season three, they talk about that scene. And they talk about how, as TV writers, they usually have to fight to get scenes like that in, and they're usually shot down. And the fact that they weren't this time, that they were able to actually have a six minute scene of a man talking to his priest about the concepts of good and evil. And this is my favorite episode of this season for many different reasons. And conversations like this one is part of why it goes deep. Uh, At this point, we don't know if father Lantham knows who Matt is yet later. He, he says he figured it out, but we're not really clear on when he figures it out. And you have to wonder, is father Lantham aware of the impact of his story? What that's going to mean for Matt and his choices. So it's, it's, deeply powerful and it does uh, call upon one of the worst times in history to make its point and you just don't see that on TV very often any
2: Matt and father lantham scene is absolutely captivating for me i I don't remember breathing <laughs> watching these up scenes and throughout season one and and season two and and season three you know their talks are just so powerful and it and like you said, a, it's, it doesn't matter the religion, even though Matthew was Catholic, it really is anyone of faith can relate to these conversations.
0: So number two on my list of favorites is also from this episode, because like I said, it's my favorite episode of the season. Mm-hmm. I just about had a stroke the last couple of minutes of this episode when I realized that Foggy was going to lift that mask. And it was uh, the way that they teased us with it. First, he's in the apartment, and then he's just going to call 911, and then he puts the phone down, and he's looking at the face, and he lifts the mask, and he recoils and says, Matt, and the episode ends. And um, I was not in a position, I was not able to binge the first season. I watched it, I think, within a week. Just lots of stuff going on in my life, and I had to go to bed after seeing that that scene. I was like, "No, I need to know what happens." And I think part of it is they did such a good job at showing us Matt and Foggy's relationship that I didn't know how Foggy was going to react. This wasn't going to be a simple conversation. Um, I didn't quite expect what we got in the next episode, which was amazing, but I knew it was not going to be a simple, okay, cool, you're the man in the mask, now what? I knew it was going to be deeper than that.
2: I was screaming as he was lifting (laughs) that mask, and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, Foggy, you're not ready for this, you're not ready for this! (laughs) (laughs) I I yell at the TV. (laughs) Does it yell Um, back? No, thank goodness. <laughs> okay, that's good. I think you're okay then. <laughs> I paid a lot of money. It better not yell back at me. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I just remember screaming in that scene. And then follow, that following episode, Nelson versus Murdoch, it was you know, their whole conversation about it and it going back and forth of, of you know, past, of you know, when they were in college. And they right. pretty much were very honest with one another. And then how Matt's been hiding this from him. Mm -hmm. And they were so vulnerable and they're both crying at one point. I'm like, this is really how best friends would react to this. I don't
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I I don't think my best friend would be very excited if I was a superhero and I never told her.
0: (laughs) And I think that's what was interesting is that it wasn't so much. Yeah, I'm a vigilante. It's like, yeah, I lied to you. I think that Mm -hmm. was way worse than, yeah, I'm a vigilante. He never told him he lied over and over again For years. And I think that's what stung.
2: And they show the scene on the steps where Matt and Foggy were drunk and Matt almost spilled about his abilities Mm -hmm. and then stopped. And I was like, you could have told him right there. You could have avoided all of this.
1: (laughs) So we're actually talking about two episodes now. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, I mean, I, right, I, I completely agree that moment where Foggy lifts the mask. I mean, and i um, i was lucky because I was binge- binging this season, so I was able to roll on to the next episode right, right away, and I knew exactly what was happening. But um, yeah, my next favorite moment is from episode ten, Nelson versus Murdoch. It's the scene, the story uh, where Matt tells Foggy how he started this journey. Yeah, you know the story about him listening to the little girl across the block and um you know Matt says I called child services like you're supposed to and then he said the law couldn't do anything to help that little girl but I could Matt has always fought to save the innocent the weak the ones who can't save themselves he's very protective of the vulnerable and that's the through line connecting the plot throughout the series Matt's inability to walk away when the Innocents are being hurt. And it was the case with the little kidnapped boy. It was the case with Mrs. Cardenas. It was the case with the little girl, you know, who forced him to get up and start doing something. He just wants to help.
0: I think it's interesting that his choice of career, he clearly does believe in the law and he clearly does try to do things through the law. But when the law doesn't work, he goes to work. Uh, So it's, it's not simply, he doesn't run to vigilante land immediately. He really does try to do things the correct way. And in the story of that little girl, he says, I did what you're supposed to. And I think if you are someone who has lived through abuse, or if you know someone who has lived through abuse, or if you counsel people who have lived through abuse, a common theme you hear is, why didn't anyone help me? And of course, he showed that sometimes you can try to do the right thing and it still is not enough. And it makes sense then that that would be his first venture into being a vigilante is I have to do something and the law is not enough.
2: Like he says in episode 13, this is where the law meets reality.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: That scene just gave me chills, you know, just Shows how good of an actor Charlie is. And then Eldon and their chemistry. It's,
1: they're both so good in that scene. And there's no action in it. Yeah, it's very natural, right? Their chemistry. Yeah. There's nothing forced mm-hmm. about it. They just click.
0: Yes. So that brings me to my third and final favorite moment in season one. And that is Wilson Fisk realizing that he's the bad guy. Because I think it's it's so powerful. You hear about this all the time if you study storytelling, is that the villain never thinks they're the villain. The villain truly thinks that they are right, that they are justified, that any evil deeds they do, well, it's for the greater good. They have to do it. The villain is the hero of their own story. But in this scene where Wilson Fist tells the story of the good Samaritan, he realizes for the first time I'm not the good Samaritan. I am the ill intent. And it's powerful to see him kind of almost put that on like a uniform. And from that moment on, Wilson Fisk is a different person. He has fully embraced the villain that he is going to wind up being.
1: Such a powerful scene, that is. That that whole dialogue, you know, in that police van. Yeah, you're right. He completely embraced his badness in that moment. And um, I mean, maybe before that, you you could kind of, um, you know, feel bad for him. You know, you could understand his motivations. He was trying to do good things for Hell's Kitchen, perhaps in his own way. But at that moment, he just completely realized that, um, no, I am the ill intent.
2: And there's nobody else who could have pulled off that scene. That shift in the way Vincent did. Oh, wow! Yes, I mean he was incredible in every season and every scene. But that you could just you can see him change from thinking he's the hero to realizing he's the villain. And in, and like I both said, embrace it. And talking about embracing the villain, um, my final pick is the big reveal at the end of the season. You see you know, Daredevil in in the suit that we've all been waiting for. And he corners uh, Fisk in the alleyway. And it's this reversal from Speak of the Devil. where Mm -hmm. Fisk says to Daredevil, I'm going to kill you. And Daredevil says, take your shot. Where in Speak of the Devil...
1: It's the other way around.
2: Yeah, it's the other way around. And it was, I just love that scene. And again, Vincent D'Onofrio being the most incredible Fisk. That fight scene, I know a lot of it is, you know, stunt. But the scenes, you do realize that it's Vincent and Charlie. They are just so into it. And just that fight scene is also incredible. And they do have a great dialogue in it too, where at the end where Vincent is, you know, fully embracing, excuse me, Fisk is fully embracing his uh, villainess. He's, you know, at one point he gets a hold of the billy club and he's hitting Daredevil with it. And he's like, he says something to the, I can't remember the exact quote, but he's like, this city, you can, this scum. And, and he's just mad.
0: This city doesn't yes. deserve a better tomorrow. This, yes. Exactly. Yes. That is yes. exactly. Yeah.
2: And yeah. I don't know why it escaped me, but it did. The city does not deserve a better tomorrow. And it's, he's just pissed. <laughs> and it's a great moment. and But then. You know, he gets up and Matt says, you know, on the night on the radio, I think this was earlier, not everyone deserves a happy ending. Mm -hmm. But then during that fight, the last thing is uh, Daredevil says, this is my city, my family and gets up and fights.
1: I love that too. Yeah.
0: It's amazing. You know, we've heard Vincent say uh, in interviews that Wilson Fisk is a monster and he is a child. And we see it both because Mm -hmm. the guy who is... Wailing on Daredevil with that Billy Club is a child having a tantrum. He is completely having a tantrum. He's just screaming. He's he's mm. uh getting right into his base instincts. He's not even trying to pretend like he's trying to help the city anymore. He's just losing it. And you see that. All right.
1: Did did we have any other moments that we wanted to touch upon? Any other character interactions that we wanted to t- discuss?
0: I could go on and on for <laughs> hours. But the the um, one that was like an honorable mention was kind of a two-parter. And that was the idea of Matt's suit being a symbol, um, which is pretty cool because, of course, we knew he was getting body armor. From a very practical standpoint, he was getting his ass kicked on a regular basis. He was cut up. He was being shot at. He could not run around in basically black cotton. He just couldn't do it. And so we knew he had to get armor, but the idea of, I'm not just getting armor, I'm getting armor with devil's horns on it. They managed to make it completely plausible. And they did it with introducing that conversation with Father Lantham and Matt, where Father Lantham says, perhaps it was part of God's plan all along, why he allowed the devil to fall from grace so that he would be a symbol for mm-hmm. others to uh, to fear. And to encourage them to tread the path of the righteous. And then when he talks to Melvin and Melvin says, do you want me to build you a suit? He says, no, I want you to build me something very special. I want you to build me a symbol. And that it just took something that could come off as a little cartoony and made it make complete sense. Yeah, of course he needs devil's horns because he is the symbol of the devil. The devil Mm. is going to come and get you if you do not straighten out.
1: I really, yeah, I really love that too. And in that same scene with Melvin, I have to, I have to bring this up, Melvin starts to cry and you see the change in Matt's demeanor. It's like he realizes that Melvin is vulnerable in that position and he's a victim, in fact.
0: That is such a cool moment because it's the first time we really realize also that Melvin's being coerced. We don't Mm -hmm. get enough of that sense in the earlier scenes with him. And so it changes our opinion of Melvin as well for us to say, oh, my gosh, this guy, you know, Fisk is just controlling everyone.
2: Yep. I do love Matt kneeling down and talking to Melvin during that moment. It's just a, a, a great moment.
1: And also some of our favorite moments were all the interactions Matt had with Claire Temple. Yes.
0: I love Claire.
1: Right. Don't you just love her? She always tells him things as they are. Like, you know, she doesn't mince words and she gives him good advice. She's the she's the first person to tell him, hey, you need a suit. You're going to die otherwise.
0: Just the fact that uh, he brings it up in our favorite episode, <laughs> episode two. Um, yeah. he He brings it up that She found a man bleeding to death in a dumpster with a mask on. Mm. She did not call the police. You know, she made a split second decision right then that changed both of their lives. And you get to see that's who she is. Um, She has her boundaries. She has her limits. And I've always said this when people talk about, oh, what character on Daredevil do you think you're most like? I said, I'm Claire. I want to be Karen. I'm not Karen. I am Claire. I would say I will totally help you until now. And now I'm out. This is too weird. And I I think it's a very realistic human thing that a lot of people would do.
2: I love that she is so honest with him and isn't afraid to, like, give him shit. The part where she says,
1: like, yeah, well, your outfit sucks. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Fans are crazy about the black suit. Yes. And I kind of, you know, it's aesthetically pleasing for sure.
0: (laughs) That's a nice way of putting it. (laughs) But from a practical point of view, it's not right for Daredevil. Right. Right. But that's something that's great about this show. It doesn't matter if it looks good. Is it, does it make sense to the story? And they had compelling reasons for him to wear the black suit. And then they had compelling reasons for him to wear the red suit. It, it worked. Um, I'm always a big believer of, you know, people like, do you want to see this happen? Do you want to see this happen? I'm like, it depends. Can they sell me on it? Mm -hmm. Can the writers show me that this is completely natural and makes sense? Sure. And, uh, The writers did a good job in explaining both of those costumes in very realistic ways.
2: I still love Foggy. The hell you get all this stuff? And then Matt just casually says, yeah, Internet.
0: (laughs) 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 I love Foggy. I love um, it. Broke my heart when he threw the Nelson Murdoch sign in the trash. But again, Mm -hmm. I believed it. I completely believed it. And I think part of the reason is we have seen before uh, sidekicks. I know Foggy would hate it if you heard me say that, but best friends of characters finding out that their best friend is a superhero. And we've seen the excited, cool, that's so awesome. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that I dislike that. I think it works sometimes. I still get like a puddle of goo with Ned Leeds and Peter Parker and Can I Be Your Guy in the Chair. I think that is so absolutely (laughs) adorable. But we've seen it a lot. We've we've seen it a, a lot. And the fact that they had an entire episode of a guy saying this is not okay was great.
1: Another thing that I really loved on the show, it was Matt reading Braille as a child versus Matt reading Braille as an adult. And you can see that there is a distinct difference in the way that they do it. In episode two, Cut Man, we have two scenes where young Matt is shown reading Braille. The first one is at Fogwell's, where Matt is is explaining how Braille works to Jack. And you can see here that Matt is reading Braille with one hand. And then in the same episode later on, there is another scene where we see Jack take out his new red and yellow boxing robe. And you see young Matt is reading braille, but now he's using both hands. But in both scenes, his hands move on the same line. So you see progression from one hand to two hands, but same line. And then in episode seven, stick. In the scene at the office with Matt and Foggy and Karen, you see adult Matt reading Braille with two hands, but now they're moving on two different lines, and it almost looks as if they're moving in opposite direction because he's moving so fast. And me being a complete Braille illiterate, I had to go do some research on this, especially after I read some commentary a few years ago where someone said, that adult Matt is shown reading Braille incorrectly on the show and that young Matt did it right. I was like, how is it possible that Charlie Cox, who worked so damn hard to get everything else right about portraying a blind man, why would he not get this part right? So I did some research on Braille reading. I found several videos where actual Braille readers talk about how it's done. And it turns out that there is more than one way to read Braille that often people who are new at it, who are beginners, they start with the one hand approach. And as they learn, they start using two hands and often is easiest to stay on the one line so that they don't lose track of the sentence that they're reading. But I also found that those who are fluent in reading braille, who've been doing this for many, many years, can easily use both hands at the same time. And if they're expert enough, they could do more in one line at the same time. And that means they read Braille really fast. So that really made me happy that this was yet another thing that this show got right, that Charlie got right. And it really makes rewatching those scenes total pleasure.
0: And I just have a quick thing. And it's so funny that this sticks out because it's not even one of the major characters, but it was such a throwaway bit, but it just made me gasp. And that's after uh, little boy Fisk kills his father. And his mother takes that moment to comfort him. And then her face changes and she says, get the saw. I gasped. Like she, she changed <laughs> on a dime. She cut this guy up and she was, you know, you, the way she was like just putting her whole body into it. You could <sighs> tell it was really, you know, difficult. It was just gross. But you, you see, okay, so Wilson got a little bit of this from her. Um, again, mm-hmm. she was being constantly abused and she she had the moment of, OK, he's dead now. Get the saw. It was uh, I I do think that that kind of transferred to to Wilson Fisk a little bit.
2: The last thing I wanted to mention was uh, from episode seven, Stick, uh, the scene where uh, Matt and Stick are in Matt's apartment. And Matt says, I've learned a lot since you've been gone. And Stick says, yeah, like what? And then Matt goes, you're a dick. And then Stick <laughs> goes, that's true. And I just, <laughs> I, I appreciated Stick being just be like, yeah, yeah, that's me. And and then the you're a dick line is something Matt really wanted to tell him for the last 20 years.
0: <laughs> and then they go right into drinking beer together.
2: Yes, yes. That's such a guy thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and also Stick saying "Bet uh, it's that piss German beer. And then in season two, Electra says German beer tastes like piss. And yet uh, (laughs) I didn't put two and two together that maybe that was something she had heard from Stick. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's obvious that we all have even more favorite moments from season one, but we could be here all day but hopefully you enjoyed hearing us talk about what our favorite moments were and reach out to us on social media and tell us what yours were.
1: Stay tuned. We have more episodes for Talk Daredevil coming out and our fight to save Daredevil continues on. So please continue following us on social media. And sign the petition. And
0: share it. Woo-hoo. Yes.
2: Thanks so much for listening. Thanks. Bye, you. guys.
0: Thank you for listening to Talk Daredevil, the official podcast of the Save Daredevil campaign. For more information on Save Daredevil, please visit our website at savedaredevil.com. Remember, Murdoch's always get back up.